Today's going to be a really special treat for you. Uh, 20 years ago, didn't grow up in church. I walked into a church, Motion Church, and there's not many moments in your life where you can point to that you say, that changed my life. I, I could ask people at church a couple weeks, hey, how'd you like the message a couple weeks ago? They're like, uh, you talked about Jesus, I think. Like, we just forget messages. Not that they're not important, hello. Um, but you can name three people in your life that really impacted your life. And there is a couple here that uh, 21 years ago planted a church, and if they wouldn't have planted the church and been the pastors they are and the people they are to uh, Rachel and I, we wouldn't be here today. And so I want to honor my very first pastor ever, father in the faith, and my, my homie, my mommy. Can I say mommy? Is that weird? Tina, mom and T. We're both T, so it's kind of confusing. But Tina and Roger Archer, will you guys give them a big old clap, big old thank you? Come on. Give it, come on. Give it up. Let's show some honor. So Roger and Tina planted the church 21 years ago and uh, in Puyallup, Washington, and today it's running like 5,000 on a weekend. They had 10,000 on Easter. What? Uh, it's unreal. They had to use a fairgrounds, fair, fair for their, uh, for their church. That's a whole different level. And so um, today is not just a day we have a guest speaker. We have family in the house. And only family, but, but I believe one of the greatest uh, pastors, shepherds, uh, oh, he loves people so well. And so will you guys give a warm Mission Church welcome to Roger Archer. Wow. You are amazing. <laughs> Remarkable people. Uh, I, I just... I did this at 9 o'clock already, but I'm, I'm, I'm live five by five. Yo, I'm ready to go. Um, you're part of a phenomenon. You're part of a phenomenon. If you're a guest this morning, lucky you. You're part of a phenomenon at this place called Mission Church. And, and here's why. Here's why. We know that there are 365,000 evangelical Christian churches in America worshiping today. That's a lot. Last year, 3,600 churches closed their doors forever. Uh, however, the good news is 4,000 new churches were birthed. And that'd be a good thing, because now we have more. Of those 4,000 churches, of the 4,000 churches, less than 1% or 40 of them experienced 250 people or more. In any one Sunday's attendance, a uh, little 411 information for you. This Easter, you had 800 people on Easter service. Now, touch your neighbor on your shoulder and say, this is a phenomenon, right? It's a, this is a phenomenon. And, and I want you to know this. Unlike in nature, phenomenons just don't happen in church. Phenomenons happen because of phenomenal leadership. And your pastors, Tyler and Rachel, are the elite of the elite of the 4,000 that opened last year and are crushing right now. Can you appreciate your pastors, Tyler and Rachel Johnson? Wow, I feel like that guy that does, uh, are you ready to rumble with the fights? You know, is that whatever his name is. Uh, my name is Roger, and, uh, and I'm a Christian. Hello, Rod. Uh, what's crazy is I, I didn't grow up in church. Uh, I, I, matter of fact, I never attended church ever before my 18th birthday. 
Not Easter, not Christmas, not Bar Mitzvah, not Hanukkah, or whatever else you recovering Catholics do. I mean, never, <laughs> never went to church ever, never held the Bible. Uh, my dad owned a nightclub, and I grew up in the club. And so at age 14, I was a barbeck. So I was uh, changing out kegs and stocking shelves. At age 16, I was a full-on bartender at age 16. Uh, I lived in Idaho, which explains a lot. That's the land of outdoor plumbing and rotary telephones still. Um, you need a passport to go to that place. So at age 17, I was doing all the books and all the accounting, accounts payable, accounts receivable, hiring, firing, doing all that stuff. And I remember when I came to faith in Jesus, which is a pretty uh, interesting story, but we won't have time to go into it today. But I remember I went to a church, and uh, you want to talk about a weird subculture of society, church in Idaho, <laughs> right? And so uh, the, the, the next youngest person in that church was 65, and I had this... Uh, Hair parted in the middle, feathered back, mullet, Sean Cassidy looking kind of do going on. And I had just come from an Ozzy Osbourne concert. And I thought his lyrics were radical. No, no, no. They were nothing compared to the hymns that we were singing that day. I remember the first song I ever heard in church. Hear the words. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> We're talking about being washed in the blood of farm animals? Rock on. <laughs> I was all about it. But I remember the guy that, 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 that told me about Jesus. He handed me a Bible. Have you seen how big those things are? You could gag an elephant with one of those big books. And I knew I would never, 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 never uh, finish it if I started at the beginning. Never. Because I never read a book in my life. So I started in the middle. And uh, I found the book of Paslums. And it touched my heart. No, no, I, I was rocking Paslums. Some of you aren't laughing because you don't get it uh, either. But the, the book of Paslums changed my life. And, and so it was I got to Paslums 23, and I got emotional. I was, and I quoted, I committed it to memory. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want you know, I, I was go, walking through Paslums. I was quoting Paslums to everybody who would listen to me. I would go to restaurants. I would go, to, I would go buy, buy groceries just to tell people behind the little check stand about Jesus and Paslums 23. And so do you know how when you like, have food in your teeth, only your good friends tell you? No one told me for three weeks. Paslums. <laughs> Finally, it was one dear little precious sister in the church. She goes, young man, the pee is silent. <laughs> right? uh, but here's what else was crazy about, about church was that... Uh, uh, I told my dad, I told my dad that I gave my heart to Jesus, and, and he says, well, you have some decisions to make. And I said, no, I already made that decision. He goes, no, 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 you need to pick between God and me. And I said, well, that's not much of a choice because I've already picked Jesus, I'm sorry. And it was uh, 22 years between our next conversation. And so the bad thing was I lost my dad. The worst thing was I lost my employment. <laughs> I was living on my own 17 years old, and I had no, I had no job, Right? No way to make money. So I remember the guy that handed me the Bible. He says this. He says, this book has relevant answers for today's tough questions. So I go to the, I go to the table of contents because I don't know where to look. I'm going through, going through, going through. I, I found gold. I found the book of Job. And so I opened the Bible to the book of Job, right? By chapter three, I need 
Zach. I was so depressed. Like, oh God. You know, because uh, sometimes people that are familiar with church, we kind of lose track of the sight that there are people that know nothing about it. Like even the, the nomenclature, the language, you say the word amen, like what the heck does that mean? Uh, in Jamaican, it's yaman. So it's kind of the same translation. Um, but you said we're like, like hallelujah, right? When in the marketplace doing a deal, do you, in closing, uh, hallelujah, you, you, don't even know what, you don't say that, you don't even know what you're saying. But the word hallelujah is a compound Hebrew word meaning halayel with zeal, iaya, uh, about a God who is active and present. Aren't you glad that God is active and present? And with swag, you can brag about a God who's got it in the bag. I mean, you, you, you seriously want to know the things about God, and you're not going to become a follower of Jesus in a day, but you will daily. That's why you need to do your growth tracks, people. You need to do those mission tracks. You need to be dialed in. Today, I'm going to read from the Gospel of Luke. And I want the title of my message this morning is Search and Rescue. I hope you're a note-taking culture. I hope I've trained you bad, you know, good enough to know that you people should be taking notes. Because the three most important words in the English language, write it down or type it in. I thought it was I love you. No, you can emoji that. So uh, you're going to forget the message, but you'll remember your own notes. The title of my message is Search and Rescue out of uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. I love our military, super grateful for our military men and women who get in harm's way for us and serve us. You know, I, 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 love, those, I love those slogans, right? Army strong, uh, the few, the proud, the Marines, hoorah. You know, uh, Navy, Navy, uh, Navy bread. But, but you know, I, I really, really, really kind of love the, this branch that doesn't get a lot of pub or ink is the Coast Guard. Any Coasties in the room? There were in the first service. So Coast Guard, they have this amazing slogan. Do you know what the, their, their slogan is? So others may live. When all the other branches are, are, get grounded because the winds are 80 miles an hour and the seas are 60 feet in the Bering Sea and everyone else is shut down, the Air Force is shut down, Navy, uh, Air Force, Marines, the Coast Guard goes out. So others may live. You know, the ultimate search and rescue mission was, it was uh, ensued by Jesus Christ. He came to seek and to save those of us who were disconnected from God. And he loved us so much that he did not aspire heaven to be grasped, but he came down in the lowest form and became the lowest form of us so he could identify with all of us. Isn't that just precious? We're going to get to this gospel of Luke 19. What time do we end? 12? 2.30? 2.30? Okay, 12, okay. Okay. <laughs> hey, it didn't cost you anything to get in here, so just buckle up. Here we go. Luke 19. You pay money for this in Vegas. I'm just telling you right now. I know because I've been there and didn't. I got money. So uh, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. Don't you love when you start reading the Bible and you can't pronounce any of the Bible names? Nebuchadnezzar. What? So what I did was I just used the first letter. I came to the name Zacchaeus and I said, he came to town and there was Z. And I just kept, I couldn't pronounce any of the names. So you can just roll like that if you need to. He was the chief tax collector. Everyone say chief. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Now, here we know culturally that in the first century, the Middle Eastern male would have been five foot six inches tall. He was too short to see over the crowd? I mean, how short a brother got to be not to be able to see over five six? La, 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 la. Here's a Smurf boy, short man syndrome, a lot of money, but no friends. When Jesus came by, he looked about Zacchaeus and called him by name Zacchaeus. Aren't you glad that God doesn't use a bulk mailing system from heaven and just cranks out junk to your, uh, your mailing address or email address? 
You're not getting spammed by God. He knows your individual name because you, before you were formed in your mother's womb, the Bible tells us he knew you. you. Before you were put on the drafting table in heaven, you were a thought in the mind of God. He came to Zacchaeus, called him by name. Quick, come down out of that tree, yo. That's paraphrased. <laughs> I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down out of the tree and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. We're just having some ribs. What's all the enjoyment? What's we'll a barbecue? What's all the enjoyment about? Well, here's the deal. In our culture, you, know, you can go have coffee with your enemy. No big deal. You can go have a lunch meeting to see if you're going to want to be in, in, in some kind of allegiance with this new business contact. But in this culture, in the first century AD, if you have a meal with someone, you're making a statement sociologically. Here's what you're saying. I identify with you. I call you more than friend. I call you family. I bear witness that we will be joint together in a form of bond and union and community and fellowship. Jesus went after the worst of the worst on a search and rescue mission in Zacchaeus. But the people were geeked. That's in the Greek, that means displeased. All the Jewish people were very, very displeased. Why? He's identifying with this guy. We're going to get to the why in a moment. He's got to be the guest of a notorious sinner. I mean, that's kind of like really epic, isn't it? I'm just a sinner. No, he was notorious in his sinning. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back Four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Now, in the first century, in the context in which this, uh, this narrative is written, we're living under the auspice of Roman rule. Now, the Roman Empire is pretty expansive. So on a face of a clock, if you start at 11 o'clock, you have Rome, Italy. If you go over to 1 o'clock, you, uh, you have Greece. You go to 3 o'clock, you have Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Down at 5 o'clock is Palestine, Israel. And down at 6 o'clock, you have northern Egypt. 100 million people, or 28% of the United States population, is living in the Roman rule. Now, the Romans did not want these people that they were dominating. There were 17 different nationalities in all. They didn't want them to become wealthy because wealth promotes power. So there was a taxation uh, platform in which they lived. And, and so the threshold of taxation uh, was 60%. Can you imagine if you didn't have to pay taxes, how great your paycheck would look? Wow! And some of us grumble but the tax rate in the Roman Empire in the first century was 60%. Now, those were just the Romans. Now you factor in the Jewish taxation because King Herod would have been uh, the uh, puppet king under the Romans over Palestine, and he imposed a 15% tax to the Jewish people. And that was what was expected of them for being Jews. Now, here's the side hustle of the side hustle. There were tax collectors that their job was to go extract the extra 15% from the Jewish people, but because they had power under Herod, they would extort a little bit more money because they were a little bit disreputable. Now, the tax people were just despised lesions on the carcass of the people in Israel, but the worst of the worst of the worst was the chief 
tax collector because he was squeezing and extorting the tax collectors. So everybody knew that this guy was causing incredible duress and pain, and everyone knew Zacchaeus because he was the source of them living in abject poverty, living from check to check just to get by. And now Jesus has the audacity to go and have relationship with him. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel good about me because I know me. The Apostle Paul, who authored 50% of the New Testament, says, says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. You see, Jesus is on this search and rescue mission, and it has absolutely nothing to do about the quality of your contribution to society. For we are born into this world separated from God at birth, and we just compound our distance by our own poor conduct and choosing mechanisms that lead us down sinful paths which create collateral damage of the reality of the context of the world in which we live. But I've got news for you that's good news. You ready for some good news? Here's some, some of you didn't say anything. Are you ready for some good news? Okay. Some of you are catatonic and you just want to go have lunch. Okay. Just two of you and we both know who you are. You're in one of four stations today, I believe. One of four. Because it's basic humanity. I'm a sociologist and psychologist at heart. My under, part of my undergrad degree is psychology. And here's what I know about human people. We're in one of, four, one of four stations, and here's the first one I want you to know to encourage you, that in high seas, he dives into the storm. You know, when waters get choppy, most of the times peripheral friends will bail. Everybody's a buddy when they're rolling large with 10-digit income, but let that thing go away and the IRS audit come, and now you're a shambles and a sham, and how, much of, how many of those close friends are really still there with you? You and I are in the high seas, know this, that like in the Coast Guard, Jesus doesn't wait for the storm, the storm to get calm before he goes in. He has power and dominion and authority over the storms of your life. What storm are you in? You see, we all project this image, don't we? That we want people to think highly of us and think good about us, like we got it wired and dialed and everything looks like it's put together. But if you drill down about an inch, you find the tempest is raging. What's your storm? I love the narrative in Mark chapter 4, verse 37, where it says, there was a great storm of wind and waves that beat into the ship, so now it was full of water. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He arose and rebuked the wind and said, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Uh, we live in a very volatile world that is irrespective of socioeconomic, gender, race, or any other cultural uh, more value or law that you may find yourself in. There's volatility that exists. And in the form of Jesus Christ, there's an antigen to the volatility in the stability in the name of Jesus. You see, you don't even have to get it intellectually. You don't have to understand it cognitively. Your synapses don't have to fire so you can graph it out to see how it works. That's the element of faith, where we call on the name of Jesus, and he has the power to speak into the wind of the waves then, and he got the power to speak into the wind of the waves right now, whatever storm you're in. Uh, not so long ago, well, I guess a long time ago now, 22 years ago. Isn't it funny how time flies? I'm 54 going on 22. My wife tells me I'm not that mature, but I'm just giving myself some credit. 
22 years ago, I was at a church planter's symposium, a practicum that was overseen by Pastor Wayne Cordero. And the purpose of this, of this practicum was to teach churches that were larger than 10,000 how to plant churches. I found myself in the room. <laughs> it was crazy because Pastor Wayne Cordero, uh, does anyone know, I've ever heard of Pastor Wayne. So he's this wonderful, sweet um, uh, Portuguese, Hawaiian guy, and he is the most meek, mild, wonderful. Hello, my name is Pastor Wayne. I'm so glad that you're here. I mean, this silentness, that guy's a killer, man. He's an assassin. Hi. So he had this invitation to churches of 10,000 over over the globe, and there was a room of 60 people in the room, and I was in there. And I was like, one of these things just doesn't belong here. It's time to play our game. <laughs> Pastor Wayne uh, reached out to me as a young church planter and said, I believe in you. Would you come to the practicum and just be my attache? I want you to be the benefactor of the wisdom there in the room. And I said, of course I will, because he was paying the ticket to fly me to Hawaii. <laughs> so we're sitting there in the room, right? And, and everybody's like, just kind of like, who's who in the zoo? Everybody's like, oh, my church is 40,000, I'm 37,000. This dude from, this, no kidding, this dude um, from Argentina had a church of 80,000 in the room. 80,000 in the room. And so they're all sitting there, and, and everybody just has it zipped, because Pastor Wayne is the, one of the most prolific apostles on the earth today. And he's speaking, and this guy from Texas keeps opening his mouth and interrupting, what is it with Texas and Texans? I mean, I, I, loved, I love me some Texas, so I'm not hating on Texas at all, and I'm not painting a broad brush, but there are some people, and we know who they are. Don't mess with Texas. Everything's better in Texas. And we're the smartest people on the, in the universe from Texas. And blah, 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 blah. So every time, and when you're thinking about church leadership and you want to have the good on-ramps and off-ramps, you may want to consider this kind of diagnostic investigation. Pastor Wayne, would you just not even go down that road? Because down in Texas, that would, I'm here to tell you, son, that would never work. You may want to think about doing this way. And he would be interrupting Pastor Wayne, and nobody liked him. Nobody. Yakety, yak, yak, yak. So we get to the end of the practicum, and Pastor Wayne takes us out because we're doing this DCAT, doing church as a team, right? We're doing this DCAT conference, and, and, he, and he takes us out into, the, out into the ocean in outrigger canoes. And so he's given us this orientation of how you're supposed to paddle the boat, blah, 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 blah. And, and so uh, he says, and the waves are going to be about six feet of sea today. You're going to want to wear your life jacket no self-respect in Texas, whatever, Texas, whatever, wear a life jacket. We don't wear life jackets in Texas. We're better than the water. We defy physics. I ain't wearing no life jacket. Fine, you don't have to wear a jacket. So they station you in the outrigger canoe based on your aptitude and acumen of, of how to paddle. And, of course, the Texan jumps in the very front seat of the boat to, to lead the thing, right? And so Pastor Wayne told us very clearly, you need to stagger your paddles on alternate sides because if you don't, there could be catastrophic results. We get, out, we get out like almost a quarter of a mile from shore, and the Texan puts his paddle on the wrong side of the boat, flips the outrigger. There are five other outrigger boats out there, and these guys are just bobbing like corks on the water, except for the Texan, because not only does he not have a life jacket, he doesn't know how to swim. And everyone's going, yeah! Not out loud. 
oh, Lord Jesus, come rescue him from heaven. And if you don't come, it's okay. But because I had lifeguard training, intuitively, I went over the side of the boat, and I get to the text and do this cross-chest carry, and I'm going to get him back, you know, to safety. And he starts fighting me. And then I was, I was really good with that because I headbutted him in the face and, and, and kind of knocked him out. So uh, it was kind of a cool uh, blessing that everyone was cheering for. And, and we got him to safety. And, of course, you know, he wrote a horrible review of Pastor Wayne's practicum. Do you know who we are in the narrative? We're the Texan. Because we are so competent, we are so courageous, we are so reticent and resistant to become uh, underneath the canopy of the submission of the Lordship of Jesus. We want to handle our own marriage, handle our own business, handle our own sexuality, handle our own singleness, handle our own education. We want to do it ourselves. Can I just tell you this? You'll never get to the beginning of God until you get to the end of you. Because only at the end of you is the beginning of God. And sometimes those storms are going to come, and you're going to have to know this. You're not going to make it unless you let Jesus be the rescuer that will dive in, because that's why he came anyway. Let's not fight him. But know this, I want to encourage you with this. In high seas, he dives into the storm. Number two, jot this down. You're probably in this other station. On high mountains, he braves the terrain. One of the tragedies of success is that on the very high parts of the mountain, there's no windbreak, there are no trees, and the wind blows the most ferociously, and you feel very, very alone. There's so many people that don't finish well in their careers, in their marriages, uh, or in their in their pursuits in life because they come to this place of success and they feel incredibly, incredibly alone and isolated. And then they begin to isolate and pull back and then you become vulnerable. Can I just tell you this? Even though you may feel lonely, you are not alone because my Bible tells me, God, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, on the other side of the, uh, of the continuum, maybe you're not in this outrageous, successful thing. Maybe you've been trying to crack the six-foot ceiling, and you can't get by, and you can't get through, and you feel so discouraged and defeated, and you feel on this very high mountain, completely isolated, and no one is around you, and no one seems to care. May I just tell you, on the very high mountains, God braves the terrain. He is there with loving hands and loving care and loving words. He'll put you in a great church, I don't know, uh, like, like, like Mission Church. To remind you of these words out of Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither the height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're on a very high mountain and you feel very, very alone, can I just tell you this right now? Look up, child. He is there for you because he has never left you. He is omnipresent. Aren't you glad the devil's not omnipresent? The devil's not everywhere at once. He lives in D.C., so he ain't nowhere near the Bay Area. That's why we got to pray for our leaders, right? But God does not see time in a linear fashion. He sees time before time. Because we all know this about time, right? It's a relative concept. Time is a relative concept, so 1230 means nothing to God. Because God created time, and God will destroy time. We know that from the Bible, right? We're reading the Bible. The Bible tells us that time's a relative concept, not absolute. Even atheists believe in the beginning of time. So if there's a beginning, it stands logical to deduce there will be an end. Aren't you glad that God transcends it? He was there before, and he will be after. And on the very high mountain where you feel very, very alone, may I just encourage you, you are not alone. Number three, I'll have you jot this down and know this to be true, that out in the desert... He comes bearing water. He comes bearing water. 
I'm not sure why it is the nature of life, but it is just kind of is, that, that uh, life is not full of highs and lows. There are lows, and then there are highs, and then you know what there is? The boring middle. Where there's no boom, boom, pow. There is no wow. There's just the grind. We grind through life. We grind through marriage. We grind through business. We grind through school. We grind through our single life. We grind through our daily life. We grind, 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 grind. And there is no just chicken skin and chicken bumps and heart palpitations. There's just life. And sometimes when we get in that grind season, do you know what we become? Very, 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 very dry. We become bored. We become complacent. We become discouraged. We become without vision or hope or want to. And and I want to encourage you with this de facto reality that when you're in the desert, that's when you're probably going to be closest to God. Because that's where God got closest to his son Jesus for 40 days when he went into the wilderness in the desert to to fast and pray and seek his father. But can I encourage you from the word of God? In Isaiah 44, verse 3, here's what he says. When you're in that desert, when you're in that grind, when you're in that boring place, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. I played football at the University of Missouri, and I, I remember, uh, I, I played in old school football, by the way. Like, when you got a concussion, the coach came and slapped you on the helmet and said, good job, you got your bell rung, way to earn the badge of honor. I remember in one football game, I got, I got concussed, walked to the other sideline, they put their jacket around me and hid me from my coach. Everyone lost a quarter. Concussed. But I remember when I was going to my first practice, I got on a plane in Spokane, Washington. I grew up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And, and I, I got on a plane in Spokane, 82 degrees, 30% humidity. Got off a plane in Columbia, Missouri, 104 degrees, 100% humidity. Here's how I walked out of the airplane. <clears throat> you could cut the air. It was so thick. Lost nine pounds my first practice. Desperate for water. The coach says, water makes you weak. Water makes you soft. You don't get no water till you get it right. And sometimes I think we have this performance mentality. Can I just tell you this? That God does not want you to perform for him, but he does want you to produce for him. We lose sight of these, these two words that sound kind of synonymous, production and performance. But when you're performing, you're being disingenuous and trying to get and garner some kind of feedback. When you're producing, you're just being who you're called to be in the name of Jesus and producing fruit for the name of God. Can I encourage you with this? That God has got moisture, but you've got to be in community with people. You've got to be in God's house. You've got to be in God's word. Because you see, the word of God is not a historical book. It's a womb giving birth. It's a lung giving breath. And every time you read it, there's birth and breath. There's birth and breath. There's breath and birth. And what God wants you to have is this sustaining reality where you can be refreshed in your desert by the things that God has made available to you by his church and by his word. And if you'll do that, there'll be water for you and you won't go through dehydration. You won't be arid. You won't be thirsty because his promise is he'll give it for you. Fourth and finally, I'd have you know this, that deep in the pit, 
deep in the pit, he descends with a way of escape. Some of us know what it means to be in a deep pit. Some of us know. And if you don't know, cheer up, it's coming. Because here's what I know about life. You're either in a mess, going into a mess, or coming out of a mess. And if life is really good right now, cheer up, it's going to turn. If you're going through hell, just keep going. Could be a country song. When you're in a pit, he descends with a way of escape. I love this in Paslam's 42. It says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Sometimes we just feel no way of escape and we feel so trapped. My parents, my parents were married and divorced to each other three times. We put the fun back in dysfunctional in our family. This is the greatest show. That I know of, that I know of, my father has 17 Ill illegitimate children by 10 other women that I know of. You see, in, in my childhood, there was just a horror that I experienced from age 6 to age 12 while being molested by my caregiving uncle. And it so skewed the way I saw life that I just had this angry tenacity to fight and to hide, and to get mine. It wrecked every relationship I ever had, and it, and it just so tainted my, my outlook and my lens, the way I saw the world. And even when I came to Jesus, I'd like to tell you that, man, in the snap of the fingers, when I accepted Jesus into my heart, that my life just flowered in this, in this, into this botanical garden, and everything that was ever an addiction or a hardship or a bad thought all went away. No, that took about, well, it's still going. Here's what I know. You don't become solid in a day, but you do daily. I was looking for a way out of my pain in my teenage years. Well, on the outside, I was an All-American football player, ASB president, dated the homecoming queen. Outside, looked like I had it wired and dialed. Man, this guy, I want his life. But no one knew on that fateful night, the night before I gave my life to Jesus, a 30 outside in my mouth and I was ready to end my life because I saw no way out. I couldn't project my life going forward. Didn't have a childhood escaped one, but I didn't know if I was ever gonna have a future life, didn't know if I wanted one. But here's what I knew, that very next day when I found Jesus and he came into my heart, he lowered the ladder into the hole and said, you can come out now because I got you and no one will hurt you again. And the Holy Spirit lifted me out of the miry pit. He put my feet on a rock on an ultimate search and rescue mission. Can I just tell you that no matter where you are, no matter what you've been, no matter how great it is, how poor it is, or how boring it is, that there is a God in every station of your life who's already been there and has made a way of escape for you. And he, is, he has come in the lowest form of humanity in, in, the, in, in the manger scene, died a brutal criminal's death on the cross, defeated hell. He arose again, ascended to heaven, and he is coming 
again. And he is on search and rescue mode because of his love for us. So proud of Tyler and Rachel. I mean, I have sons and daughters all over the world that are murdering it for God. Killing the devil and taking names and putting communities together where people can know what they got to find out, which I got to find out. And now there are people in your worlds that need to know what you know. But some of you, quite honestly, you're in the second category of the only two categories of people on the earth. Seven billion strong, there's only two. The seekers of Jesus and the followers of Jesus. The seekers of Jesus and the followers of Jesus, and that's it. And we all start at the same spot. We start at the same spot. Seekers of Jesus. You're here today, and I don't know what, where, what brought you here, but here's what I do know. It's not fate, and it's not coincidence. It is providence. It's God's divine guiding hand. You see, the rest of the world, us, we're just playing checkers, and God is playing chess. He's strategically moving the pieces around, and here you are today at Mission Church. And it ain't chance, and it ain't fate. Those don't exist. It's providence. I want to invite you, if you would, to bow your head and close your eyes before Jesus. The band is going to come. You see, I came to a crossroads in my life where I had to come to the end of myself, which was the beginning of God. And on that wonderful day on January 4th, 1983, I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't get it, didn't understand it, couldn't cognitively put it together. I just knew that it was right. So here you are today in this wonderful place of worship. And you've been prepped by God, but you had to respond with your free will because he can't make you do what you don't want to do. He wouldn't do uh, He can, but he wouldn't. He has opted not to force his creation to accept his sacrifice. If we were playing chess and I had moved my rook, I would hit the bell and I would say, it's your move. So what will you now do with what you have now heard? You see that there are two wars being fought right now. The enemy of your soul, who is the enemy, is wanting you to do nothing with this. But the lover of your soul, who is Jesus, is pulling for you to let him in your heart. His word tells us, Behold, I the door of your heart and I knock. And if anyone would open the door, I will come in and be with them and have them be with me. Are you a seeker of Jesus this morning? Or maybe just maybe you used to follow Jesus, but you decommitted. And you know what? It's time for you to come home now. Because Jesus never left you, but you can leave him if you want. That's free will. Where are you? Well, here's what's going to happen. In a few moments, you're going to hear the word now. And when I say now, I'm going to invite you to lift up your hand, not to a church, not to a pastor, but to God. You're going to lift up your hand to God. And your hand going up will signify you surrendering, coming to the end of yourself, and wanting to get to the beginning of him. I know in the first service, there was one young lady that came up afterwards, and she said, I didn't raise my hand. I so wanted to. Is it too late? <laughs> no, it's not too late. Don't delay this one more moment, not one more day, not one more pay period, not one more 
cycle of your life, that word now is going to be spoken. And when that word now is spoken, from the front to the back, from the side to the side, the Holy Spirit is filling this room with his love for you and his desire for you. I hope you'll let him in because that word's coming. That word now is coming in three, in two, in one. Right now, put your hand high into the air and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want Jesus. Can you, well, can, can you applaud people right now giving their life to Jesus? There's about 20 people in this room that are saying yes to God. Welcome to the family of God for real. You can put your hand down now. And, and, can, we, can we all pray out loud together so no one just feels singled out? Can we just pray this out loud together as a community? Let's say this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my wrongdoing. I thank you for my redo that starts right now. Now a child of God. My future is bright. My past is behind me. I sit forgiven and I will arise in a moment as a brand new person. Now with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm wondering uh, how many of you might be in a desert feeling very dry? How many of you might be on a mountain and you feel so very, very alone. Because that's, that's no shame on you. That's just where you are. How many of you are in a pit and you just feel like there's no way out? Or how many of you are in a storm and you just need calm? If you're in one of those four stations or maybe a couple or all, I'd like to pray for you too. If you would just lift up your hand to heaven right now, if, that's, if, if you're in one of those places, can you lift up your hand? Okay. Father in heaven, you saw every hand go up, and I just pray right now that the God of the universe would speak deep in life into every one of these precious souls. In the strong name of Jesus. If you agree with that, would you say amen? I mean, could you applaud the Lord God for the great work you did today?